Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Moving in her career from a trauma nurse to a thriving business consultant, Sarah Downs is passionate about growing business, creating sustainable results, and supporting the people within. From analysis to diagnosis to action, Sarah is one of the best in the business. Founder and partner in Takaro, she has worked with over 100 growth mind businesses across 11 countries to enable their B2B sales function. She's also the chair of the Aberdeen branch of the Institute of Directors. She goes to the heart of the economy helping create better directors to build better businesses. With that, we welcome Sarah Downs. Hey, welcome, Sarah. Welcome so much to the show. It's great to have you on. Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. And we're both sitting in the cold and the rain. We just have an ocean dividing us, it sounds like. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just telling uh, Sarah, I get to go to a track meet tonight. It's freezing cold. I know this is going to drop a little later, likely in June, but we're we're recording we're recording a little earlier than that, and it is downright chilly and rainy, and I don't know why anyone would schedule track meets in the in the cold and the rain. And <laughs> I'm saying that we're used to it over in Scotland, so it's, it can be like that twelve months of the year on and off. So we're used to it. Always is it always green in Scotland though? I don't know. I hear that about Ireland. I don't know about Scotland. I've never never been. I know William well, Wallace. The ground is green, but the sky is often gray. So, <laughs> yeah, lots of rain and lots of cold weather. But, yeah, the green makes up for it. Well, I uh, my my only introduction to Scotland is Braveheart and Mel Gibson and William Wallace. <laughs> so I have I have Noah and and yourself, Sarah, yourself and uh, Yakemi. So I don't I don't know much. As long as you don't ask me to shout freedom at the end of this podcast, we're all good. We're all good. <laughs> well, I was actually going to do it at the start, but uh, <laughs> we'll start the more traditional way. And one of the things that I ask every first time around the podcast is, you know, this is about the art and science of complex sales. So we dive into we dive into definitions. So, Sarah, what does sales mean to you? Okay, so I have listened to the podcast and you have had some amazing answers to this question that have been much more eloquent than what I'm probably about to give you, Paul. Um, But I was really thinking about this before coming on. And to me, um, I'm sure we'll get to this at some point, but I'm an ex-nurse. And when I first came into the world of business and started to understand sales a bit more, to me, it's just like nursing. So, you know, you've got the evaluation, the diagnosis, you know, the checking in before you put someone on a treatment plan and then you're tracking and measuring from there. And to me, when I think of sales, I often just kind of picture a patient in a bed because that's what helped me at the start of my sales career. So probably a bit of a different answer to most of your guests and not as refined, but that's what sales means to me. It's it's all about helping people. 
I, I absolutely love it. I love the analogy. You got to tell me the story. So we got to dive into that now. How did you go from, from sales or from nursing to sales and then start to apply those lessons? Yeah, sure. So um, I always said I went from nursing to sales, but when I track back a bit further, I had been in sales before. I just hadn't realized it. So right back to when I used to go to the the car boot sale. I don't know if you guys have that over there. <laughs> like it's like a market where you sell your own stuff. The boot is the trunk, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's the hood? The sale? Like, Do you have a trunk sale? No, we we have yeah we have. Uh, it's more along the lines of, I guess, our garage sales or sometimes we'll do yard sales. Yeah. I think that's okay. probably it. So something like that. However, in Scotland, not everyone has a garage or a massive backyard like you guys do. So we all come together in a field and everyone opens their trunk and sells out the back of it. And it's something that I used to do with my grandmother um, sometimes on a Sunday for fun. And I would buy just as much junk as I was selling. But you know, if I go right back to there, I wasn't even 10 years old and I was already haggling with the customers. And then while I was studying, um, I did some waitressing, which, you know, you're selling all the time. I'd worked in retail for a little while, um, just part-time jobs. And again, I was selling, I actually did retail for Disney at one point, which I thought was going to be the best job in the world. And it was the worst job in the world because the store was just full of screaming children. (laughs) Parents brought them in there to buy a gift for someone else's kid. So (laughs) it wasn't the best job. Um, So, but then, yes, you're right. I, I went into nursing. That was my choice of career. And I worked in a trauma unit um, for a number of years, but in, 2011, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. So I had to leave nursing. It wasn't by choice. It was for medical reasons. And I came out into the big, bad world of business, not really knowing where I would fit in. There was all these different job titles and disciplines and departments. And I didn't really understand what any of it meant. Obviously, there's the basics like HR and finance, But sales was something, if you had told me when I left nursing, I'd end up working in sales, I would have run a mile because sales to me, as with many other people in the world, is like a dirty word. You know, it was scary. And I just thought of those, you know, some of the bad sales people I'd met throughout my life. (laughs) So sales is not something I, I thought I would have gone into. However, I ended up having an amazing opportunity to work in a small business where the director had made a career transition in the past and she allowed me to get involved with a little bit of everything. Um, So from quality to safety to operations, strategy, finance, um, marketing, events and sales. And the two things that really stood out to me were strategy and sales. And that really surprised me. But once I was in it, I realized that one, sales was all about people and I was good with people because I'd been a nurse. So I could do relationships, I could build rapport, I could look after people. And strategy, I think, stood out because I worked in trauma and you get that 999 call and everything from that point forward is strategic. And you have to do strategy quite quickly under a lot of pressure And in business, typically don't actually need to do that. But I think we should do that more often. So we made decisions faster. 
So yeah, those two things together, what stood out, and that started my career in sales. That's fabulous. There's so many ways I could go right now. One, I, I want to one quick question though for you, and maybe it's not quick, but this, the connection that you just made between strategy and action and the trauma unit. Yeah, uh, that's that's a fabulous connection. So it it's uh, and one that's nobody has ever really made uh, on this show before. But the importance of acting on strategy now, right? Uh, so not just not just strategizing, which I see so many companies where they 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 strategize and strategize and strategize, but being able to take that to execution. Um. And that's that's one thing I just see. I see a hole because there's a lot of people that spend a lot of money on a lot of consultants, uh, mm-hmm. and but it sounds like you're not interested in that in in just consulting without action. No, there's nothing worse than a consultant living in a business for five years before they tell you anything. And too many people make a lot of money doing that. I think a good consultant should be able to go in, evaluate the situation make an element of diagnosis, set the strategy, set the, the treatment plan, you know, if it was a patient. And then they're measuring what's working. They're willing to pivot the strategy when required. But you need to be willing to move fast, but also fail fast. And it's like strategy under pressure. So if you think of the military, they often talk about pressure testing strategy and they use things like wargaming um, to help them do that. And in medicine, in trauma anyway, there is an element of that as well. So you'd, all your training goes towards different scenarios and all the things that could go wrong, plus experience tells you that you never know what's going to come through the door. And something can present as one problem, and it can actually be something very different. And it's the same in business. If you think about salespeople, they often will go into the prospect or the client and they'll ask a series of questions if they're doing it right, to evaluate what's really going on. Or they're the type of salesperson that is just listening to symptoms. So they'll act on symptoms alone. But symptoms alone don't help you understand the overall health of the business. So for example, try and um, use an analogy. If you came into the trauma unit and you appeared, your symptoms showed me that your arm was broken. You could see the best orthopedic surgeon in the world, they still wouldn't diagnose you with a broken arm at that stage. They would make you go through a series of tests that would help them to evaluate the symptoms and make a full diagnosis. So you would do x-ray, MRIs, scans, etc. And then once they understand that you have some type of fracture, they would then make an assumption of best treatment plan, which could be surgery, etc. But before they rush you to surgery, they're then going to check your general health first. So they're going to do your blood work. They're going to do the blood pressure, the temperature, the oxygen levels. And that helps them understand, are you actually fit for surgery? And in business, we need to do more of that. So it can't just be about checking symptoms and setting people on this amazing strategy without understanding What's the knock-on effect of that to other parts of the body or other parts of the business in this case? So if you sell that much, can operations back that up? Can we finance that sale? You know, Do we have the resources or HR ready to build out the team 
if we sell that much. So just that's just an example in sales alone, how it can actually have this knock-on impact into other areas of the business. And we really need to check that first before we just start selling more. One of the fascinating things about your background, especially coming from nursing into the the role that you did where you were allowed to do everything, right? And gain that general business knowledge across the board, right? Is that ability to diagnose more broadly? And one of the things that I see within with across the sales, the B2B sales industry right now is this. I did a session on hype cycle and it was really around trying to get business knowledge, having business knowledge and business critical knowledge at the, the fingertips of, of sales reps and helping them learn that more effectively so they're able to diagnose. What do you see in market relative to that? Do you think that that ability to diagnose broadly is really critical in a sales environment or is it, uh, should it just be around a very specific uh, symptom? Well, I think, you know, sales is not just one thing, depending on the company. Um, There can be different layers or levels of sales. So if you think of a business that has SDRs, AEs, BDRs, you know, they need to know enough for their, their part. But in a lot of businesses, the same person is out there hunting, bringing in the prospect, and then they're involved the full way through the sales cycles to a close and often into account management as well. You know, most business is small business. Most business is not huge corporate in every country. So you have one person or, you know, a couple of people doing that entire cycle. And I think it is important that they have the business acumen. And it's often where businesses will come up against reputational damage or, you know, poor customer experience um, and complaints is when their teams are not have the understanding of business and they will sell something or make decisions very quickly based on symptoms alone without understanding the knock-on impact. On the flip side, we see it. um, So we work a lot in energy and tech, but if in energy, it's a lot of businesses in oil and gas, offshore renewables, nuclear energy, and all the supply chain into those sectors. And a lot of salespeople are actually engineers or data scientists and, you know, um, or scientists in general. And normally they've worked through the technical roles before they move into sales. And that has a huge amount of value because they understand the buyer in a different way. And they understand how they think, they understand some of the challenges, but also how they're processing information as well. But even with that technical know-how and sales know-how, they still don't often understand the full picture of business, which can often get in the way. So I think every sales leader or business does have a responsibility to build some business acumen into the people that are selling on their behalf. I think it's a really important part. It's something I've never seen come up in general sales training. Um, But I know with sales coaching that we do, we talk a lot about business in general with salespeople. It's not just about how do I get that next call? How do I, you know, move this through to a close? It's helping them understand through that sales cycle, some of the things that buyers probably thinking about because they do have the business acumen. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the uh, key questions I had a mentor teach me very early on was, and I don't 
you know, not everybody words it this way, but it's essentially when I'm selling to somebody, making sure I understand how they make their money, how they make their revenue, and then how they spend their money, right? The the two easiest questions in business, right, is mm-hmm. is some of the the questions that we we don't ask because sometimes we're just a niche over here or a niche over here. We we're very very small piece of the pie of how a business operates, but I found by, by asking those two simple questions, it has given me a lot of knowledge just in into in general how business operates, and really been effective from a uh, a sales perspective. So when you get into this prescription mode, diagnostician mode, so I'm going to back up a little bit and let's put you into like that di- that sales diagnostician where you a prospect is a trauma patient right and that prospect is is in front of you and you're saying okay i need to diagnose what's going on like do you have a general way that you go about that how how do you start to uncover the layers so i guess it depends on the type of business and who i'm talking with so for example if it's the ceo or the managing director and you know they're in trauma mode, i.e. they're going, ah, what's going on here, and panicking. The first thing I try and do is calm them down. And sometimes those questions need to be more around, like, what's the worst thing that could happen right now? And just really grounding them. So that's very similar to what you did in trauma, because you can't get anywhere with anyone that's in a panic, Right. The sad thing is some salespeople with feed off of that, they'll think, oh, this guy's vulnerable because he's in a panic state and it might be easier to sell him something. But I I believe that if you, you know, were to do that, it's going to bite you in the ass as much as it is him. And it, yeah, you might get a sale, but you're not going to get the second sale from this guy. Um, so I think, you know, centering people, first of all, is really important. And that's a lot of the time is about asking questions, but not necessarily your typical sales questions. It's more coaching style questions. And then once they are centered and calm, you can then have that more productive conversation. And that's going to be, you know, talking to them about the business, you know, and, and you know, you need to dig deep. So, for example, if you say to a CEO, what would you like to achieve in your business in the next year? And they say, we want 120% growth. Some people would be like, yes, you know, rubbing their hands together. This guy wants to grow, so he's going to have to invest to get there and I can get right in. But I'm more likely to then test that and say, well, that sounds great. Every CEO wants 120% growth. But what did you have last year? What did you have the year before? And like, let's get a bit of a trend here going. So, you know, as did, did you 80, 90% last year and therefore 120 or has something drastically changed in their offering that's going to allow them to have that growth? And even if it has, it's about, you know, if you were to get that growth, is the business set up for it? You know, do you have the operational capacity to back up that much of a growth? Would you need funding? You know, would you need investment alongside the revenue growth to make sure you had that capacity? You know, there's so many questions dependent on the situation that I would ask but there would be a lot of questions if somebody came in a, in a state a trauma state in a business situation 
Let's see if see if I can relate this to the the nursing. So my my wife is a nurse, so I get I get told lots of stories about it. She was actually a NICU nurse, so not a trauma nurse, but a NICU with little tiny babies. Oh my but what I, I to her, I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, she she did it for fifteen years, I believe, and um, recently stepped in a position that's a little bit more relaxed uh, for her. But she was. Um, like where I relate that that centering conversation to sales and to what she did is she would always tell me about, you know, needing to build trust with the families, right? Because she was taking care of the baby, but the families were the ones that the baby was crying, but and it needed comforting and that type of thing. But the the real issue was was a lot of times the hysterical nature of yeah. of the families and. And so it sounds like that centering conversation, you know, if I'm taking that to, to sales, it's really that being able to effectively build trust and relationships quick, go go yeah. deep uh, quickly in that trauma state um, and Absolutely. do what you say you're going to do. And uh, so... Is that, you know, does that relate well? I don't, yeah, I'm not sure I have a question. I'm just rambling a little bit, but no, you're right, Paul. And, you know, there have been times where I've had that client that is in absolute panic state, or I have just stopped the conversation and said, Do you want a hug or breathe? <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes people don't need me to be Sarah the professional, they just need me to listen. And, um, in a professional way, of course, but sometimes they just need that pause. And I think when you're a busy CEO running a company and you have clients in one ear, employees in the other ear, investors in the ear that you don't have because we only have two, you know, there's just so much coming at you and it's complete overwhelm. And there have been times where the time they're spending with us, whether that's in consulting or coaching capacity, can just become that bit of a safe space where, you know, it's that healthy space where, yes, we're going to talk and we're going to get through stuff. But the first thing we actually need to do is just get into the moment a little bit and help them to really calm down and feel less overwhelmed and just um, be focused before we start talking business, sales, revenue, profit, EBITDA, whatever we're going to be talking about is really just, you know, making sure they're okay first. Because if they burn out and they're at the head of that business, that business has a much bigger problem than 20% growth or not. Mm-hmm. That's a great, that idea of centering is, uh, I'm going to take that with me for a long time. Because I think it's, when we ask the question, like sometimes sales, we do that very quickly, right? Oh, is this still a good time? You know, that that really doesn't get to what we're trying to do which is to bring people in the moment uh, to stop the noise and to have a conversation. So I'm, I'm going to bring that with me for a long time. I really don't know what to think about it other than I think it's other than it's brilliant, right? This idea of centering from the trauma and, and finding a space that you can actually have a discussion and that people are ready for, right? That they want to have, and they'll respect you to have, but it, sometimes it, it takes calling people out on it. Like, okay, Hey, if, you know, they they come to a meeting and they're incredibly scattered and busy and and they're you can tell they're doing 19 different things. Maybe that's not the right time to talk with them. And I get it. Like sales reps have so much pressure on them from management, from KPIs, that if you have that opportunity of a sales meeting, 
you want to blast through your questions and understand if you're qualifying or disqualifying and update your CRM and feedback mm -hmm. to your next sales roundup. Like I get there's so much pressure, but I think, you know, again, it goes back to sales leaders or sales leaders giving their sales reps the permission to go, actually, this client is not ready for this meeting or not okay for this meeting at this time. And because of that, I've just spent some time getting to know them and being there for them. And we've rescheduled the actual sales meeting for, you know, another week's time. That should be okay. And I know in a lot of sales cultures, that would not be okay. And I think we need to call that out and talk about it more because we're dealing with human beings and we're not dealing with machines yet. Never know. It might come one day. <laughs> I had I had one of the uh, greatest sales calls of my life. It was a couple of months ago. And it really wasn't even a sales call. But it, when I look back on it, I and I think of the topic we're discussing right now, which is centering. I, I actually, there was a... It was a conversation with a, a woman I truly respect. It was the first time I'd ever met her, and um, we spent we spent an hour talking about spiritual things and what her kids were going through because that was really the state that she was at, right? And it was just a it was great because I just I was like, okay, I'm not going to feel any pressure. We're just going to go into this. I'm going to die. My my plan was, you know, it was a discover. We call them our vibe meetings. We call our initial discovery meetings, vibe meetings, and because we're looking at a vision, we're looking at the impacts, the barriers, and then can we execute? So I went into this vibe meeting and it was clear that she could not discuss at that point in time, her vision for a business whatsoever, but it wasn't like she was running away from me. So we just dove into a different, and I realized that we, that centering conversation that we had relative to, that allowed me to later diagnose things that were going on. So. Thank you for that, by the way. That's a that is brilliant. And I uh will I will take that away absolutely and begin leveraging it more with my own team. And and I'm so excited that people get to listen to it. To move forward. So you have diagnose, right? And then when do you prescribe? Like when when does prescription come in? Because I know salespeople are extremely, it's a part of nursing, right? You're like, okay, I, I need to figure out how to fix this. But it's also part of sales. But when does that happen? So I think after diagnose, if you're an expert, you know, in, in the area that you're diagnosing, then you can start to think of the prescription. You know, you have the prescription in mind. Um, so similar to a surgeon will or a consultant will have the the treatment plan in mind. But it's that bit in the middle. So instead of jumping into the treatment plan, it's checking the general health first before you absolutely put that treatment planner that, um, sorry, I'm getting confused between my business chat and my my nursing chat here. So <laughs> before we, we you know, put the strategy, the business strategy in place, we need to really check that general health. So that operational capacity, the financial health, whatever that may be for the business that that's going to sustain the change that we're about to make. And I think that's the bit that's often missed out. People will, if you know they're doing their job well, they'll do a good evaluation to diagnose. And then they jump into diagnose strategy or product service strategy and output. But I think that check-in on if I diagnose this or if I treat this in this way, if I offer this product or service, how could that impact the rest of the company? 
And if you don't know the que- the answer to your own question there, you need to have that conversation with a client. You may need to get other buyer personas in, in the mix. And then even once that product or service or strategy is in place, you need to have a keep an eye on it, which often doesn't happen. And I know that we're not in full control sometimes if the client just wants to buy something and get you to go away, then, you know, fair enough. But I think especially in the service world, we have the opportunity to check in. And it, an example or analogy of that would be, you know, you could have an infection and they could put you on an antibiotic. And then four days later, it because they're checking your blood work, they realize that antibiotics are actually not doing what they hoped it would do. So we now need to change to a different strategy and put you on something else. And then we need to check that for another three, four days. So even this, what I'm trying to say is the the strategy and the first time around isn't always the right one. And that's okay if you have those conversations up front and people are willing to fail fast. They're willing to pivot and move. And I think that gets difficult in business because at the start, you put this contract in place and it'll be contractually agreeing services or products, people, manpower. And then people get scared that if they start, once it's gone commercial, that it's then not okay to say, do you know what? I think we could add more value if we just maybe swap this bit out with that bit. And I think most clients actually respect that a lot and they're very open to it. But you need to keep your eye on what's happening to be able to do that. I look at our own business. Um with membrane and uh, that's it's a fascinating part of the business because uh, we have so many different areas that you can that you can watch right so and you could see you don't see specifics on but in general are they using things like their prospecting process well or are they using things like their pipeline is their pipeline going up uh due to use to, of uh of uh, membrane and one of the things we've learned over the course of the years is that we are not necessarily and i think this is uh to your point i don't want to make this about membrane but i think most customer service or customer success organizations need to realize that they're the in the impact business um to to just and what you're saying right there they're in the impact business they're in the how can and and the value business so it's realizing that value for the customer and providing that impact for the customer and being able to check that health every once in a while with a thermometer and saying okay yes we're on point or no we're not it, the challenge when it's no we're not is having the courage to which you just said having the courage to say we're not bringing you the value or the impact i know we can right but it forces it forces a change on the organization. It's not um, easy for doctors either to say, I've actually prescribed you the wrong medication, but it's not doing what it needs to do. And we still want to get you better. So therefore yeah. we're going to have to move it and you're going to have to go back to day one of your antibiotic. It's not easy for them either, but they know if they don't do that, there's lives at stake. So yeah. they'll do it. We're in business. You can let things go on for a very long time before a life would ever be. <laughs> you know, at risk in many products or services. So people will just, I guess, put a blind eye to it and move forward because they they don't feel like they're hurting anyone. 
but they're maybe not adding the value that they have the potential to add to make that impact that you speak of. Yeah, I think it's so important to have a proactive. What I'm hearing you say is like a proactive from sales to to customer success, that whole thing, a proactive approach to being able to look at impact, diagnose impact and recommend impact, even though it may mean change for the customer. Um, and evidence impact as well. Evidence, yes. Which you guys are great at doing actually at Membrane. But I think a lot of, you know, SaaS and products especially are plug and play. Like you, mm-hmm. they plug you in and yeah, there's a guy on the phone if your system breaks. But other than that, they're not great at coming back on a quarterly or you know, bi-quarterly, even an annual basis and going, by the way, here's your impact report. This is what has happened because you're working, because you've plugged in our bit of software. And they, they're not ready to give that evidence. So they maybe know it's adding value, but they struggle to evidence that back to the client. And I think that's a that's often gets in the way with renewals. It gets in the way with, you know, as the the buyers that, that bought it in the first place leave, new people come in and they don't have the relationships that were in place when you plugged in in the first place you know, they then don't have this evidence of impact going forward and then you're at risk of losing business. So we have just spent, and I just to recap real quick, we have spent the past, uh, we've been on for 35 minutes now and it's been awesome. I've, I've learned so much, but we've gone through really from that initial trauma diagnosis all the way through uh, health checks. If I'm looking, if I'm keeping the nursing analogy going, right, which is um, how do we leverage, how do we leverage the diagnose, you know, and diagnose when do we prescribe, which is after taking that pause to do the general health check as well as as others. So for like for a company like ours, right, it could be taking a pause to say, is somebody ready to implement what they do? Right, that's a general health check. They might have every other thing that we can prescribe that you know we've diagnosed and said, oh, this is amazing. But if we don't do that general health health check around implementation, we could miss. Uh, and then all the way through that. KPIs and impact reporting after, which is the the ongoing health of of the patient. This has been a fantastic analogy for me. I really have learned a ton. Paul, I um, think you're ready to sit your nursing exams. I'm not. Yeah, sure. I think you're ready. <laughs> you could tell I have a nurse in the family. I your think. wife will yeah, be proud yeah. of you. <laughs> oh man, I I can't even. Uh, yeah, there was so many, and I I just so connect to that trauma. The the idea of the. Uh, the the clarity and the slowing down at that beginning to connect in that grounding and centering, like just because of the stories that she told me and where her work was. So I'm going to take that with me for the rest of my life. And I really appreciate it. Is there, how do people find uh, Sarah Downs? Uh, how do they find you online if they want to get in, 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 uh, in touch? I'm most active on LinkedIn. So Sarah Downs and the business is Dukaru, D-O-Q-A-R-U. You'll find myself and Yukemi, who I know you've also interviewed, Paul. So you'll find us there. I do have other platforms, but definitely LinkedIn. If you want to actually reach out and have a conversation with me, I'm there every day. So definitely the easiest one. Can, can you take two seconds to describe why the name Dukaro? Because I read I read it. And I, 
it's okay. a, it's actually a pretty good story, and we could do it. We could do it really quickly. As long as you didn't do it with your cameo already, I'm gonna. I didn't. I did boring the audience. Should, does she tell okay. the story better? Because if she uh, does, probably I'll... she's better storyteller than I am. Um. So Dukaru. So my surname is Downs, and Yukami's surname is Otaru. And we were a merger, so we both had our own businesses and decided to come together, join forces to scale what is now Dukaru. I almost didn't say it right there. And we were trying to have a play on words. We wanted to find a word that didn't mean anything, that we could protect internationally and could live on no matter what the business became. And it wasn't clear that it was our surnames because, you know, we could do the whole Downs and Otari associates mm-hmm. thing. But, you know, as soon as we're out of the business, people will have a problem with that. So we started with Dotaru with a T. And then thankfully, Yukemi is better at market research than I am. And she realized that it actually meant dirty in Japanese. Mm. And that is just not the kind of consultancy that we wanted to build. <laughs> That's not going to fit. Doesn't fit your personality, no. Absolutely not. So that was scrapped. Then we tried Dokaru with a K, which ended up being a World of Warcraft character. So wouldn't have been able to protect that one. And then we gave up on the, the name thing. And Yukemi is an engineer. And most of our clients are engineers. So we were thinking about something clever. And we came up with fee um, growth. So PHI, fee, are known as the golden ratio. About two equal parts coming together to create something more. And the symbol for fee is a strange looking Q. So after we decided fee growth wasn't it, because people didn't know whether to say fee, phi, or PHI, and it was just getting a bit of a bit twisted we decided to pull the queue into the middle of our do aru and we created dokaru which meant absolutely nothing it had a story had the founders names and we could protect it so that's where it came from i absolutely love it it's a great name and it's a great story and it's got a lot of your personality in it and um I just want to thank you, say thank you for for being on the Art and Science of Complex Sales. It was a wonderful time. It, uh, people will really enjoy this uh, this pod. And uh, any final final words of wisdom before signing off? No, just thank you for having me. And just a reminder to everyone listening to pause and just get grounded at the start of the sales process. I know it's exciting and you want to rush forward, but sometimes it's the best thing you can do for both you and your client. Absolutely. With that, we'll sign off. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much, everybody. Have an amazing, amazing day. Thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training 
to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.